the Five Star Autopsy, where we examine the cause of death for the greatest creative runs in pop culture history. And today, my friends, let me take you down, because we're going to talk about the Beatles. I'm your host, Tony McMillan. I uh, write books. I wrote three books that just came out called Higher Climbs the Fire, Scratch Witch Hymns, and Songs from Scissor City. And all together, it's called the Bleeding Tree Trilogy. You can get those books. I make comic books. I write and draw them. I've uh, written and, and played music. I've uh, helped create some very independent films. And so I love pop culture. And we're going to tackle one of the, the, the foundations of modern pop culture, I guess. I mean, the Beatles. The Beatles are... The Beatles are bigger than music. The Beatles are bigger than rock. The, uh, it's 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 almost hard to get your head around. The Beatles are um, if if pop music and rock and roll are largely forgotten in fifty or a hundred years or or two hundred years, if they're still um, encyclopedias, the Beatles will have to be mentioned because they're that important historically to the culture. You know, we might not be talking about Fleetwood Mac or Led Zeppelin or whatever. The Beatles are going to be in the fucking book. They're that big. So, how do we how do we begin to talk about the Beatles run? Um, I'll talk about how I started the Beatles, right? So, I'm a kid of the, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, right? And I'm aware of the Beatles. The legend of the Beatles is already huge and kind of omnipresent. Um, I don't remember the first time I heard the Beatles uh, music. The, the truth is, my mom... Um, you know, she wasn't a big Beatles fan. She didn't like dislike the Beatles, but it wasn't like one of her big bands, you know. And um, I didn't grow up with my dad, but he, uh, I found out much later, was a huge Beatles fan. So I'm sure if I did, I would have been exposed to them way early on. But um, I think basically most of the adults who might be people who turned me on to Beatles in my life at the time, uh, they weren't Beatles fans. These guys were more into like Led Zeppelin, Styx, Rush, you know, or John Cougar Mellencamp or whatever. It just, the, the Beatles were kind of not really mentioned. So I had to kind of come to myself and I don't know exactly what it was. I think it's, you know, hearing songs on the radio, whatever. I, I kind of, I think the gateway for me was like, I was into the psychedelic kind of stuff. And um, I eventually got uh, the Beatles white album on cassette. And I, uh, you know, that's this double album, sprawling, disjointed, crazy album we're going to talk about when we get to it in the run. Um, that was my entry point. And I think part of it was that I knew some of those songs, it was later 60s, so it was a little more akin to like the classic rock that I liked. Like, like you could see, like, the sound of it was closer to, like, Led, early Led Zeppelin or Cream or Jimi Hendrix experience. It, some of the early Beatles stuff was... To me, at the time, it was very much like sound like, like stuff in the fifties almost. It was like super old fashioned, and kind of cornball. So I, I I didn't go into that. And then this is I don't know. I for some reason I got the white album. I used to go to sleep to it. I used to I loved it. I loved how to me it was so. Um, there's so many sounds to it, right? And so I was I'd fall asleep to it, even though um, I constantly would wake up to a uh, revolution number nine because that that was fucking dissonant and insane. And I'd wake up just feeling really unsettled, but. I continue to play, but anyways, that was my entry point to the Beatles. I think um, I've I, I then eventually got the blue um, the blue album, which is kind of the, the latter day greatest hits. I think it's like sixty seven to seventy. You know, it's a double album of, of greatest hits from just three years. There's so much on there and so much they they left off, but that was really when it cemented like, oh, I like the Beatles. And it took me a while to kind of go back and listen to the early stuff, and I love the early stuff now. I, I mean, I love all 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 the periods. I think there's sort of like 
kind of three main periods if you want to break down the, their whole discography. Um, but the early stuff is, is fantastic. And especially, I, I love the Beatles. I love all, all four guys. Um, when I was a kid, I was very much a John guy. And I still deep down am a John guy. I But I will say I, I love Paul. And it's basically, I love Paul almost as much as I love John. It's like, And I, I pre, I, I, as I get older, I appreciate Paul more and more and more. So that being said, the early stuff is really when John was the leader of the band, at least for the first like three records. And it's funny, John's sort of like considered like the psychedelic one, the, the forward thinking one, the progressive one. Um, as, you, as we go through this, you'll see that's not really true. And I will say John is definitely the rock and roll one. He loves rock and roll. And those early records are very much, oh, this is Chuck Berry. This is Elvis Presley. This is, this is classic rock and roll done a little bit differently uh, with young people. But this is Buddy Holly. This is, All that stuff's very much in that. And a lot of that is, I think, because John's influence looms large in the band. So let's go through it, right? Let's go into the debut. Please, please me. 1963. The band... Hits the ground running. Okay, the run begins with their debut. Um, this is weird because to me, this is a jaw-dropping debut. But since this band is a band that's going to grow and experiment and and change so much over time, it feels like this is an embryonic thing. Despite it having such a huge impact, it basically it starts the floodgates of like um this rock and roll counterculture revolution in a lot of ways. This record in '63. So it's a jaw-dropping debut. It's it's amazing. I think they recorded this in like a, under a day. I think it's like twelve hours or something like you know like that. Um, it's it's jaw-dropping in, in its effect and and what what it basically um, creates. Um, but it's also a powerful prototype because it's like the band's not fully formed. And the the, the funny thing is the band kind of never becomes fully formed because the band's always changing. They're 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 this like shape-shifting chimera thing. It's 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 very interesting. Um, and that's part of why I love about the Beatles stories. The narrative is really cool. Um, but that first album, man, if you listen to it, it's there's so much going on. And it's like, as like I said before, I, I was initially like, oh, this old stuff's too dorky. Um, it's not. It's great. And yeah, there, you know, there are, it, it's, it's pop music, but it's sung so well. And there's still an edge to it. And there's still a lot of personality to it. Like on on the record, like I saw her standing there. I, that's one of the songs I still, when I pick up my guitar, I'll I'll, I'll play that because it's it's such a rocking tune. That's Paul, and, and you know Paul, if John gets saddled with being the progressive um, psychedelic one, Paul gets saddled with being the the old fashioned the 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 um the granny music one, the one who makes like the the ballads, and he does, but he also makes fucking incredible rock tunes, as, as you'll see. I mean, I saw her standing there. That's that's one of their best rocking songs. Um, the rec the record like uh, one of my favorite songs on there is um, uh, "There's a Place." That's it's it's right before the end and it's um it's really poignant. It's really beautiful. Um, uh, it, it's you know John kind of I it's I think it's more of a John song, but this this is the period when they're really writing together a lot. So there's definitely um, Paul's influence on it, but um it's they're very simple lyrics, but they they really um. They kind of hint at where the band's going. This band's going to be vulnerable and sensitive and talk about, unlike a lot of pop music, I think at the time, talk about some down things and um, some personal darkness. Uh, so that that song's very very big to me. It's it's um it's a it's a very important song. 
Um, but you know, this album's got "Love Me Do." This album's got "Please Please Me," the title track. You know, um, there's "Boys," which Ring it's a cover, but Ringo sings it, and it's one of the first. Uh, it's, I guess it's the first Ringo song on record, and it's it's great. It's re- it's really fun. Um, there's a bunch of good covers, and none better than the last song on the album is "Twist and Shout." So now that I'm thinking about this. This is actually this is the my entry to the Beatles. Um, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Their that Twist and Shout is featured in 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 that uh, huge parade thing at the uh, in the middle of the movie, and Ferris like uh, lip syncs to it, and I fucking love that song. I didn't really realize it was the Beatles. I didn't think it was like Matthew Broderick. I just didn't know what it was. Um, uh, it's I believe it's an Isley Brothers song, um, but Twist and Shout. John Lennon, that's one of his best vocals, and I, I believe they recorded this album, he had a cold, and he he said, we're going to do this this one last, because I'm going to shred my vocal, it's, I, I won't be able to do anything afterwards, and it sounds like it. he is just, what what I love about John Lennon, and we'll get into all the all four guys, John Lennon has an extremely unique voice, so Paul's voice is the most versatile, Paul's voice is technically the best voice in the band, he can kind of do almost anything he wants to do, but that being said, John's voice is the most singular, the most unique. It's um, it's uh, it's it sounds sort of delicate at times and very very sharp. And when he um he really gets into it and he really screams, it's um, I, as a '90s kid, I was like, oh, this must be kind of this is kind of where Kurt Cobain kind of gets a little bit of that bark from. It just sounds like um, it sounds very uh from the belly. It sounds like a real um attack. It sounds a little it sounds wild. And I, I don't even Paul. Paul can go crazy and he can go wild too in his own way, but his sound, Paul's sound, uh, always sounds. Um, it, it's like, it's like technically too good to be truly wild. He like he he's he, he's just too um he's too in tuned with the sound. He's he's too much of a, a virtuoso. John sounds a little raw, and it's before punk rock was a thing. But it's a little his voice is a little more punk. And so I, I've always appreciated that. And this is one of his best moments as a vocalist, really just going all out. Um, Twist and Shout's incredible. And so Ferris Bueller, that was my first entry into that, I think. And uh, I love that sequence. And so I still kind of think of that song with Ferris Bueller, which is it's funny. I kind of just stumbled upon that right now going through this. So you, you start the run on a great foot, right? Jaw-dropping debut and a powerful prototype. What do they do next? With the Beatles. So that was 63. This is the same year. This is the fiery follow-up. With the Beatles, um, opens with um, "I Won't Be Long," which is so good. Like it's it's uh, "I Won't Be Long" is so infectious when you hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, all the bands, like, everybody in the bands is yelling. Yeah, it gets get you so hyped up. Um, I, I will say, like uh, my daughter Nora is like two and a half now. Um, I've been singing Beatles to her since she was born. I literally was like, I would hold her in the the NICU and sing Beatles songs because they're they're very melodic and I know all the words and um, you can sing them at low uh, and you can hush and sing them as lullabies and they sound good but anyways um, she loves the Beatles she and I, I it kind of makes sense to me because like why wouldn't you they're so catchy and melodic and there's so many um, different feelings and I don't know if she's picking up on this but um, there's four singers in in one band so you have a lot of uh Different different styles and flavors within there, so there's a lot going on, and with the Beatles, to me, kind of just builds on the first album. There, there's um, just so many great catchy songs, and what's cool about this album is like I didn't get to this till later in the day, so like I didn't know um, like all I've got to do. The second song, which is one of my favorite songs of theirs, I it's, it's such a great John like vocal and good delivery. And what's cool about these early records to me is like 
almost all of them are like love songs that have the word girl and then they're talking you know they're directly talking to uh their young female audience and um the, you know they're, they're love pop songs but it's almost like they use that as um as a sort of foundation to like it's like if the lyrics are going to be all kind of the same and there's there, there are, they have a little twist and whatnot but the lyrics are all just love songs let's focus more on the way we deliver these songs, the arrangements, the vocal melodies, the harmonies, it's almost like um, it's almost like a metal band where we're like it's like well every song's about the devil, right? So it doesn't really fucking matter what we sing in a in a way. It's all about like w- the way we do it or the way we we package this thing. And so these early records, you kind of see them as um, the band um, just being really, um, really great at decorating these type of songs. And of course, the band. One of the great things about them is they grow up and they start writing more introspective lyrics and um, this this more variety in their lyrics. But uh, this early stuff, it, it um, it's kind of fun to see them more as this like songsmiths, um, just just using like the foundation of this is a pop love song. Let's build around what like the the story we all know. It's like it's like a genre. It's just a genre that they're gonna play with. It's like they're writing mystery novels. Everyone knows the mystery novels beats, right? So everyone knows the pop love songs beats they're going to do some cool innovative stuff using that formula and so that's what that's why i really like about these early stuff the early stuff right but you know the early stuff is kind of just these first two records in a lot of ways because the next one everything fucking changes so a year later 1964 is a hard day's night this is what got me to fully uh, love the early Beatles stuff. This is a giant leap forward. So in a way, this is this um, ends the first era, which is the um, the sort of John led era where it's it's early kind of it's it's very um, exuberant pop songs, right? This ends that era, and it's also um, it ends the era, but also it ends on such a high note because this is the first record's all original material, no covers, and they bring some of their best songs ever and. Everyone shines on this record, right? Don't be wrong. Everyone does, but this is definitely feels like John. This just this is John's one of John's best records. This may be this may be the John record, John Lennon masterpiece of the Beatles uh, repertoire. Um, this is their early masterpiece. Uh, I, the course of the title track, uh, it's, it just starts out on such a great uh, note like that, and, and literally a weird fucking note. And but you know what you learn in this record too is that. And this is a lesson that took me a while to finally get, is that it seems like in, in almost all of John Lennon's greatest Beatles moments, there's a contribution from Paul McCartney which helps make it. Paul is the great contributor. So that, what I mean is that they all contribute to each other's songs. John would help Paul with lyrics and sometimes with arrangements. George had ideas. Um, they all do. Even fucking Ringo. But when Paul adds something to your song, it almost always dramatically improves it or creates such uh, an important piece that if you remove that the song just wouldn't be the same and so hard day's night is it's it's a funny example because he's only really adding a vocal but basically um uh, that part was like when i'm home everything seems to be right so that part right there John John wrote the whole all the lyrics to the song but he's like ah, i can't um i can't get the the highest the high notes i want to get in there Paul, you sing that part because Paul could hit higher notes, and he does. And Paul comes in, <laughs> comes in real hard on that on that part. He sounds great, and um, 
it's funny. And what that allows is like you have like a little bit of a, you have a little bit of a, a relief from John. So you have, oh, this is a different voice. That's cool. And when John comes back, there's a part where he goes, ah, he just kind of moans like this very John Lennon-esque way. And it's like, oh, we're back to John town. It's a great dynamic. That's one of the things I love about them. when they, they, they kind of trade off like that. And they do it once in a while. So that's an early example of like Paul just adding a bit. But, but a lot of times what he adds are, are actual musical segments that are, are indelible to the song. Um, I'll, t- I'll talk about it when we get to it, but I'll, I'll briefly mention like... Um, why my guitar gently weeps, um, big George song, obviously, right? The intro, that piano thing, that's Paul. That that cool kind of stately piano intro, that's all Paul McCartney, and I love that intro. And I think the song without that intro, just not quite the song we love. But anyways, Hard Day's Night, right? Just this is to me, um, it feels so teenage and and and. and exuberant and, and uplifting and great even the darker moments um and there are some darker moments this is this is them starting to like talk about it's it's funny a lot of these are still love songs but they're they're, they're actually mentioning like hey sometimes love sucks and that back in the 64 that's kind of a um i'm not gonna say revelation but it was it was a little different and and what, what it's hard to understand about the beatles i think for people from my generation and i'm sure if younger people it's like what what the beatles really cemented was um we are a band that writes our own songs and plays our own songs. And we make, eventually, we, our albums are, are artistic statements. And so you have, before that, you know, you have some artists who are doing that. Chuck Berry's writing a lot of his own songs and he's performing them. Um, Buddy Holly. But, you know, more so you have stuff like Elvis who like doesn't write his own songs. He performs them and it's not as personal. And what the Beatles cements is like, not only do we write our own stuff, but it's not about, there's not one guy in front. It's not Chuck Berry. We are the Beatles, and that's important. Like, we four create this thing. We are this entity together. And I think that becomes the popular way to do uh, rock, rock music, at least for the next, like, 20 years. This um, this showcases that, in, in, at least in the early form, at the, at the, at the, the best example of that, right? I Should Have Known Better is incredible. If I Fell, um, that's... the kind of interesting lyric and kind of John Lennon starting to like uh John Lennon and Paul McCartney both kind of starting to uh lyrically even if it's like they're not aware of it they're short they're they're big they're doing the lyrics from the point of view which might not be um the 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 noble point of view they're actually showing showing their their uh their darker sides or, or at least their, their their fallible sides but um you have stuff like I'm happy I'm happy just to dance with you which is George taking the vocal right um, I believe Paul and John wrote that for him, but it's it's great, right? And uh, despite all this, you know, this this is this is John's uh, John's big record in the early days. Despite that, and the, the band John and Paul both kind of do this a lot to each other. Mostly a John record in a in a way, just like he he kind of just seems like he has the biggest presence. But the Paul songs are fucking killer and they um they're 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 scene stealers right so you have can't buy me love and i guess the the story i've been i've read is that like uh paul had that song a little early on in the recording process and john heard that he's like oh my god that song that's brilliant right like i i gotta i gotta top that i gotta match it and then he started going you know he this is one of his most like um uh creative periods like he he just had a lot of ideas i think he was he was this is a really, they're very competitive guys. And this is, um, 
that song was so good. He's like, I got to I got to beat that. So Hard Day's Night, I Should Have Known Better. All these things are him going, okay, man, Paul's stepping shit up, so I got to step it up too. Um, another song, which is one of my favorite Paul songs ever, is Things We Said Today. It's, it's, it's a minor key thing going with the music, and it's it just sounds kind of wistful and it's 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 really cool and um it's a it's such a weird kind of like groove I don't know and a good lyrics I'd be that's one of my favorite Paul songs so good um it's it it I, I tell you this if you've only liked uh like the latter day Beatles this record is the one to get you to appreciate the early Beatles this is my um my favorite of that period even though it ends the period it ends on a high note um. So what happens after that, right? That's 64. Well, the same year, five months later, they do Beatles for Sale. This is going to be, I think, a controversial thing for this this podcast. Um, this record is, uh, I think it polarizes some people because basically it is a step back. The band is a little burnt out. They, um, you know, John basically, um, you know, he 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 wrote a bunch of songs for the last record for Hard Day's Night. They just made a movie, their first movie. The band's blowing up bigger than ever. They're a full-on cultural like phenomenon. Everyone's kind of like, oh man, they, we should spend a little more time, but they don't have it, so they they got to make this record, right? So it's half covers, and you know, this this made a record full of all original material, so it feels like a step backwards, all covers, um, and the sound of it, it, like I was really surprised when I heard this, I was like, oh, this this isn't before Hard Day's Night. It sounds like it sounds like this would be like the one after with the Beatles. It's not. Um, that being said, though. You know, it's a step backwards in a lot of ways. It's also a step forward because lyrically and musically, the band is starting to like um, they're, start, they're starting to like be a little more introspective. Um, they're starting to be uh, musically everything doesn't have to be a hit single. Um, every, they they can do some different things. They, they can experiment a little bit. So like the opens with no reply, which is a great song, and that's a downer kind of lyric. The next one's I'm a loser. You know, and babies in black, and you can just talk about the titles. Like, there's, it's a little bit darker, and it's a Beatles, so it's not like you know, it's not like a droning, um, fucking Joy Division like you know kind of thing. But it's them talking about you know not getting the girl, being bummed, all this stuff, like starting to right. And then you have, um, so there's that stuff. You have some really great covers. You have rock and roll music, which. The first time I heard rock and roll music, I did not hear the Chuck Berry version. I heard the Yahoo Serious version from uh, Young Einstein. And I fucking loved it. And so I was happy to hear this version. Um, uh, Mr. Moonlight is something that a lot of people really dislike. I think it's fine. It's okay for what it is. Actually, it's cool. The Kansas City Hey 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 thing Paul McCartney does, that rocks. You have a great original Eight Days a Week. Eight Days a Week is on this record. And what's one thing you find out, this this band and like the Stones, like early British rock, um, a lot of times the big hit singles, which you might get on a greatest hits album, they're not on the albums where when they were recorded. They were released as a single by itself. Like Jumpy Jack Flash is not on any Rolling Stone uh, official album. You have to get a greatest hits to get that album, despite it being recorded around Beggar's Banquet time. Same thing for the Beatles. So it's really, uh, it's kind of weird sometimes. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe they left off Strawberry Fields forever, you know? <laughs> but that's just the way they were doing it back then, you know. It was an incentive for people to buy those records, those, those single records, and but it was so it's kind of a nice surprise, like oh, eight days a week is actually on an official album. That's kind of kind of fun. Um, it's one of their best pop songs. Um, I don't want to spoil part. It's a really really fun song too, you know. So this record again, um, it is of all the records we said so far, it's my least favorite. 
but it's really good still. It, it, it's a step backwards and a step forward at the same time. It's transitional work. Not experimental per se, but it's transitional. They're they're building towards something. And I think the the quality of the original material and the quality of the covers is good enough that this can, in, this continues to run. Even if it kind of squeaks by, the run still continues. So next year, 1965, right? All that introspection pays off. Um, they come out with help. So help feels like the the proper sequel to to a hard day's night, right? This feels like when I, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I I, th- I just thought they went back to back. They made a movie, an album, movie, an album. No, they had this little thing in between them. Help. You have John the title track, great great song, great John song. But you have Paul contributing that cool vocal in the background that kind of like um, echoes what he's saying and kind of w- winds its way around John's vocal. Um, the lyrics, of course, you know, he's, he's literally crying for help. He's talking about fame and, you know, he's, he, he says it's about him going through like the fame and stuff like that. And feeling very isolated, him gaining weight and like being the public eye and all these things are there. The lyrics, he's, that, that being said, they're very much, um, anyone can understand. It's very simple. Help. I need somebody help, you know, not just anybody. He's talking about friendship and, and love and all that stuff, but it's, it's, um, it's a great record. It's funny. Um, it, it, the only reason, only reason I would say anything bad about Help is that it's only, it's just not as good as A Hard Day's Night, and they're very similar in a lot of ways. But there are some highs on Help that A Hard Day's Night is sort of more like a consistently really good. Help is like a little up and down, but when it's really good, it's like it's even better. So the highs are like. You've got to hide your love away. John song, very Bob Dylan esque folk song, beautiful song, great lyric. Um, another cool, like he's starting to kind of um, talk about things a little more, in a, even love a little more complicated, you know, a little more complicated way. Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride, such a cool song. And this is one of the songs where like the Beatles will often talk about who wrote what, and they're usually all on the same page. But this is one where everyone kind of wants to take credit for something because it's they know it's 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 such a cool sound, right? Some people say this is like one of the first like um, precursors of heavy metal and the li- and the riff. Um, and don't worry, if, you, if you've never heard it before, if you listen to it, you're like, this is not metal. But you can kind of hear it's very riff-oriented, um, really interesting drum pattern, which I think Paul told Ringo to play. Um, great lyric, uh, great, great vocal delivery, you know. Um, you have that, you have um, I've Just Seen a Face. Paul is fucking, it's funny, the, Yesterday's on this album, and Yesterday is, of course, a masterpiece. It's a Paul masterpiece. Um, it's... You know, it's 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 a beautiful song. It's it's perfectly balanced where it's it's almost going to be too much, almost cloying, but it's not. It's just it's sentimental just enough. It's beautiful, right? But I've just seen a face. The second the song before that, that I actually I know yesterday is a better song, but I prefer I've just seen a face. Maybe because I haven't heard it so many times, but it's such a cool folky song and it's propulsive. It's great. The lyrics are just really sweet. It's beautiful, right? Um, the whole record great record you see them growing you see like them kind of getting ready to do something big right like this is big don't be wrong with yesterday um what you're really seeing i guess is um the band is growing with what they want to do with sound but you're also seeing that now paul is on equal standing with john when it comes to the leadership of the band and the direction of the band um and don't be wrong when john was in charge it wasn't like he was like 90 percent in charge but now it feels like 50-50. Like, Paul, these songs and, and his contributions to everyone else's song, this album is when it's like, okay, uh, 
John, it isn't like John Lennon, Paul McCartney, you know, like there isn't a hierarchy like that. It's John and Paul, then the other guys. And that, this record cements that. So now we have a new world order, right? What do they do with that? They begin within their run of, of greatness. The like this is this is the Hall of Fame shit, right? This is the this is like masterpiece city, basically. Okay, so that's sixty five. Same year, uh, I think, believe near the end of the year, they do Rubber Soul. Um, so now you have this great balance where it, it's it seems like you got John and Paul kind of on the same level. And at the same time, no one's standing still. Everyone just keeps on uh, growing and, and having new ideas and, and new innovations, right? At the same time, you have George coming into his own. George is starting to write some really good material. Um, and, and Ringo, obviously Ringo never becomes uh, on George's or John's or Paul's level ever. But uh, Ringo is Ringo's content and Ringo is um, Ringo is definitely a necessary part of this band, Uh some people will say, you know, just like his personality, him being so easygoing and easy to hang out with. Sure, but he's also he serves the song. He always he he'll change his style to fit the song. He'll um he he he'll never um, gets in the way of a song, which is important to a band like this, which is so versatile, has so many different uh, styles and, and sounds they're gonna try. You can have somebody who's a virtuoso who's like, I played this one way, and if your song doesn't work with my way, we can't do it. He's not that guy at all. He's important. Rip a soul. <laughs> rubber soul uh so good S- such a great record and i remember this record um this and revolver i actually got them from a library um i you know i didn't have a lot of money and i was like i'll, I'll try them out and um i, I it was cool because I, I already listened to white albums stuff like that uh but this was like uh i could see i could see um that the band from the white album this, this is kind of where they really start becoming like this is the mid 60s uh the recording gets better the guitars get a little more distorted the drums get a little higher in the mix and of course there's a lot of sounds there's a lot of uh sitar influence starting to creep in on this record especially with norwegian wood which is fucking great song right john lennon uh masterpiece paul of course helps a little bit he mentions it's funny paul gets some there's a lot of lyrical help on this one. At least a lot. He, he does some lyrical help. And it's usually it's John helps Paul with some lyrics. This kind of... Paul had some, some influence. But George definitely um, contributes to the song too. Um, but Drive My Car opens the record. Drive My Car. <laughs> it's so fucking great. Like great Paul rock and roll vocal delivery. Him showing off like he can just do a big distorted barky voice if he wants to. But of course he's, it's always melodic. It's always smooth. Um... This is one of my daughter's favorite songs. It's, you know, a lyric we all understand. Although John's contribution to this song, John helping Paul, he kind of gives some that that sly, like, I think it's John's idea that, you know, the third verse revelation that the the woman who's singing, who's who's been our, our narrator doesn't even have a car. She doesn't have a car yet, but she's found a driver, and that's a start. It's a John Lennon kind of clever little bon mot sort of thing. Great opener, Norwegian Wood kicks in with like we're gonna do some different shit like this is this is this is folky this has got a sitar thing going the lyrics are like very mysterious and interesting great right um michelle here's here's two songs that i think are really great so john and paul have a, a friendly and not so friendly competition you know with like they're trying to outdo each other you know and, and that builds this great uh, catalog of songs 
one of the best examples of that is that Paul has a song called Michelle, right? Michelle, my be- right? Beautiful song, has a certain kind of uh, cadence to it. Um, John's song, Girl, similar, right? Jo- similar kind of kind of kind of style and 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 uh, melody, but the difference is Michelle is is kind of old-fashioned beautiful and the lyric is very sweet and loving and i actually believe the um i love you i love you i love you that part which is very sweet and tender was actually john's contribution to paul's song i, I believe that's the case girl john's full-on song is very sneering and dark and twisted and um you know pointed it's it's and, and you know a little misogynistic maybe but um it's a different approach. He basically is like, I'll do a sweet melody, you know, I'll do a cool, like, kind of, uh, is there anybody going to listen to my story? Almost like a sea chanty kind of thing. But his lyrics, to counter that, to balance it out, instead of going, like, the music's sweet, the lyrics are sweet, music's sweet, the lyrics are a little bent, you know, they're, they're a little sharp, they're a little dangerous. Uh, there's even the background vocal, all the boys are saying, Tit, 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 tit. They're saying tit, but they're saying it in this way you, you wouldn't recognize it really unless you listen to it. It's it's sardonic. It's that's John Lennon's verse. So that's John Lennon versus Paul directly. I feel like those two songs. There's a song between them called "What Goes On," which is a good song. But I feel like um, I wish they were back to back because they're basically almost like two approaches to the same idea. And you see who the guys are. The rest of the record. It, it, I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with this record. And what's cool about this record too is like, unlike uh, we get Sgt. Pepper or even uh, uh, a Revolver and Abbey Road, a lot of these records have almost like um, the weight of of their legend, right? The Rubber Soul is only now if people are going, no, that's actually my favorite. George Harrison's like, no, oh, that's my actually, I think that's our best one. I think the the better songs are in Rubber Soul. So it's sort of like you can like. As a listener, go like, oh man, Rubber Soul is like, I, I had no expectations and it fucking rules. That's, and that's true. In My Life's on it, right? So In My Life is a huge song. And this is another song where everyone kind of in the band wants to take a little credit for something, right? It's mostly, John kind of originates the song, but everyone has a, has a part to it. Beautiful song. It's incredible that a young guy like this wrote such a, um, a forward looking song. It sounds like an old soul writing the song. In My Life, beautiful song. Um, Paul's song, I'm Looking Through You. I love this. When I first heard this on the record, I was like, I've never heard this. Before. Why is this not on the radio all the time? I'm looking through you. This fucking rules. Um, you, you feel it, and, and it feels like you know Paul's. Paul a lot of times will write in. Um, he writes stories about characters in his songs, you know, and his personality and his views and his philosophy shines through sometimes, but um, it feels like it's it's, it's distant sometimes. You know, John Lennon's more about he literally just write about himself. He mentioned John. He mentioned Yoko Ono, who you know you'd only know about if you knew who he was in his songs or whatever. Paul doesn't usually do that. This song felt very much like Paul just just straight up talking about some real stuff. He's going through a relationship breakup, something like that. Him realizing something about somebody he didn't like. It, this feels like him uh, very unguarded, and it's it's really good to hear that. Um, uh, if I needed someone, this is when George is kind of coming like, I got some shit I want to drop on you too. Like, think for yourself is 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 good, but that's actually... It's a, it's a decent song, but that's a side of George Harrison I don't really care for. And he, you see a lot in his solo work where, um, unlike John and Paul, who um, will write, th- they, they don't seem like they're trying to present themselves as an authority on a subject, usually. 
they, they show that they, they, they make mistakes, right? And that's what makes them uh, interesting songs or interesting characters within their songs. George, well, like, um, think for yourself, it seems a little bit like he's like, I have the answer and you uh, you don't. And like he doesn't even like posit that maybe he's wrong. He's, he seems like 100% sure about things. Not into that. If I need someone's very different, if I need someone's sexy kind of, it's funny to say it's birds esque because it is, but the birds are very influenced by the Beatles. So the birds and the, the birds and the Beatles uh, are sort of like the Beatles and the and the, um, the the Beach Boys, where they influence each other. So it's it's like a it's a game of telephone. Like they do this on this one record, they answer this. So it has kind of Beatle a uh, birds esque guitar, or, or maybe the birds stole this guitar from them. But it feels like it's birds esque. I think the ba- Beatles even said, "Oh, it sounds kind of like the birds," and that's cool. But the lyrics are very sexy. It's very much like, hey, you know. Like I, I, we could hook up. It's 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 kind of a come hither thing. That's the side of George. I like I like the horny side of George because George is fucking hot. Like George was definitely to me the hottest looking dude, and he also had a he had a, he had a vibe about him. I think uh, John vocally is the horniest dude. He's the sexiest one, uh, but they're all they're all sexy. Even Ringo Ringo maybe maybe Ringo not so much. I can't lie, but they're all pretty much sexy. And Ringo's a good dude. Ringo's probably amazing. Lay, he's probably you know unexpectedly good. Lay, I don't know. But George, Horny George, here for it. This the album does end with "Run your, for Your Life," which is a song John Lennon has, you know, later in life was like, "I'm I don't like that song. I'm 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 ashamed of that song because he said that it's basically about a guy who finds out his girl's cheating on him or he's he's afraid she is. Point is, he says he's gonna fucking kill her, and it's not like a, a metaphor. It's like straight up run for your life. Uh, if I catch you for another man, that's the end, little girl. It's, it, you know, it's it's done. You know, I, I can't even say it's done like a, a removed, like, oh, this is sort of like a joke. But I think it, it's just a mean song. It's a mean-spirited song. It's It sounds uh, sexist. Uh, that's why John Lennon's like, nah, I, I think I was just going through some ugly shit and I put it on record, so I'm not proud of that song. That being said, the music and the, the melody and stuff like that, it is good. That that part, those, those parts are good. But man, if um, even the creator's not into it, you know... Maybe it wasn't the best uh, the best song, but it doesn't spoil the record. The record's incredible. The band, um, this is another giant leap forward. So this is um, this is another this is the start of masterpieces with within masterpieces, right? So that's sixty five, um, sixty six. They wait a whole year, and then they drop what I believe is their masterpiece. In the middle of a run of masterpieces, in the middle of uh. Even a a run of great masterpieces that are within a run within a run within a run doesn't matter. This is the one. Revolver is the record. Um, Revolver to me it just has perfect balance. Um, the band on this record feels limitless. It feels like not only can they do anything, they can do it well. It just uh, they're firing all cylinders. Everyone's it, it's it's funny. This record feels uh, so self assured. That it's kind of it has a little bit of weirdness to it. Like it opens with Taxman, which is a cool opener, but it's a George opener, and it feels like weird that on their masterpiece they open with a George song with something that they haven't done before. It's almost always a Paul or John song. No, Taxman was cool. It was a good opener. It sounds like the Batman theme a little bit, which but it's, but it's about, about taxes and it's another so, George is an interesting character lyrically. It's like he's either about like really um, philosophical spiritual stuff. He's uh, uh or he's really horny. Or sometimes he's just griping about fucking paying money and shit. Uh, but it, it, it works. It's a really cool song. The guitar solo, so this is another Paul contribution. So the guitar solo, 
fucking awesome, right? When I first heard it, I was like, oh my god, this is recorded in like 66? It sounds it sounds like 1970 or something. It sounds like really ripping. Um, I was like, George, I'd never heard George play like that. Because it's not George, that's Paul. Paul plays the solo. It's so good. It, it's, it, it just, it, it's, and it's mixed really loud. It just sounds just gnarly. Love it. Um, so that's Paul. Sprinkling a little Paul magic. A little, a little McCartney on top of George's stuff. Making it, make it sing. Song two, Eleanor Rigby. Paul McCartney, fucking masterpiece. Eleanor Rigby, uh, one of my favorite Beatles songs ever. Um, it's, it's, it's so cool. So basically you have these, it's, it's basically just Paul's voice in strings, right? There's no, uh, there's no guitar, no drums. Um, really interesting lyrics. This is one, so it is a Paul McCartney masterpiece, masterpiece, but John and George and maybe even Ringo all contribute lyrics that um, make it to the final song and help shape this thing. So it's it has weird lyrics that are slightly psychedelic and kind of surreal. And there's also this really um, sad tone to it um, that you, you don't normally associate with Paul. And it works, you know, all the lonely people. It The music, the, the strings, um, they, 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 they they kind of are relentless, and they almost sound like a like a like a horror film, like an Alfred Hitchcock film. But they just they just hit this right level of not a horror film, but there's some sort of um, marching kind of menace to them, just slightly. I don't know. But the song overall is really beautiful and sad. Um, you know, great great stuff. Her 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 face in the jar by the door stuff I always think like what the fuck that's so crazy it's, it's such a cool lyric it's so weird great stuff right Paul comes out the gate real hot he's like I'm, I'm not gonna fucking you know just like I'm not I'm, I'm gonna continue to build this is something we never done before this is something you never heard before and it's funny it's psychedelic even though it's actually very traditional it's, it's all strings it's like it's like Paul going I'm gonna take an old style and show you how weird it can be Follow up by I'm Only Sleeping. This is John's entry into the record. And it's so languid and laid back and beautiful. This is his slacker anthem. Um, it, it just feels so chill, but also kind of cool. And there's there's some psychedelic backwards guitar stuff going on in the background. It's very dreamy. It's beautiful. Great vocal from John. Uh, good yawn from Paul. John <laughs> points at Paul and Paul yawns on cue and it, it works. <laughs> really good song. Followed by, this is one of my favorite George songs, Love You Too. This is full-on sitar, raga, uh, rock. Um, and I think it's the best version of it he's done. I, I, great lyrics. And um, when I first heard this, it exploded in my ears. I was like, whoa. It, it just sounded so cool. It sounded like um, like when Led Zeppelin did like sort of Indian influence stuff. It, 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 it has these droning guitar sounds and then sitar. And there's one guitar in particular that sounds... It's really loud in the mix, and it says, it just sounds super rad. I love it. And the lyrics are really cool, too. And it's, again, it's Paul getting a little horny in there. Like, he's like, you know, I'm sorry, not Paul, George. Paul was probably horny watching George, but this, this is George horniness we're here for. Um, <laughs> George Forskin. George Forskin Grill? That doesn't matter. Point is, um, great stuff. George is like saying, I'm like, love you if you want me to. Fucking boys to men stealing from George. Years later, doesn't matter. It's a good lyric. He's all about consent, but he will horn you up if you're down. George, great stuff. And then you have here, there, and everywhere. This song was a little bit of a grower for me. Here, there, and everywhere was Paul. Uh, very, um, it's kind of got that old-fashioned vibe to it, right? Great melody. And I, when I first listened to, it, I was like, I don't know. But then all of a sudden, you hear the, this guitar goes, and it sounds really cool. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, 
I'm down. I'm down for this. And uh, apparently this is one of John's favorite Paul songs, one of the few times that John would compliment Paul. And Paul said that that meant the world to him. It's a really good song. Followed by one of Ringo's shiny moments, Yellow Submarine. Uh, this is, uh, I think, my daughter's favorite Beatles songs for, for a long time. Uh, it makes sense. It's, it's for kids. It's still great. It's it's folksy. It's whimsical. It's psychedelic and weird. Um, I think Paul mostly wrote it. I think John contributes some stuff, too. But, you know, Ringo's voice, it's built for Ringo's voice. And Ringo's got a great voice. It's, again, not, there's not a lot of technical finesse to it, but um, there's a lot of personality. And um, there's warmth to it. I really like it. Um, Yellow Submarine's great. Yellow Submarine's like something you, it just, in the town, ta- right when it starts, you're just like, oh, I'm on board. I'm, I'm literally on board with the Yellow Submarine. Let's do this thing. Yellow Submarine's great. And it's a nice, um, it's a nice uh, left turn in, in the record, right? It's followed by She Said, She Said. This is John. This is actually one of the few songs where I think Paul isn't even on this song. I guess there was a fight. Uh, I think Paul was like, I think Paul's thing was like, this is sort of like the head of, um, at this point, Paul had not taken LSD. The other guys had. They were about acid. Paul's like, I'm not into acid. This song's very much about an acid trip. Um, and I think I think Paul's sort of feeling like they're make, make me feel like a square. It's funny. The song's about taking acid and people making you feel like you're not part of things and feeling kind of weird. And it, it feels like the guys did that to Paul for not taking acid. Um, and then maybe there's some musical fights too. I don't know. But Paul was like, I'm out. The records, the song sounds great, you know? Um Really cool guitars, um, great John lyrics, very weird, you know. Um, she's making me feel like I've never been born. It's cool, really cool, weird. Um, good stuff. She said, she said, followed by Good Day Sunshine. Beautiful Paul song. Paul taking, it's, I think it's really, un, I think people don't understand how hard it is to write, to make any art about happiness and making it compelling. I think it's easier. If, if most art seems to be about conflict in some way, to be about, to, to write things about uh, negative things, uh, but to write a song about just how great life is and how good you feel to be alive, you have to be, you have to, you have to know what you're doing because it can be really boring. Like, where's the conflict, right? Good Day Sunshine does it. Good Day Sunshine, beautiful song. Comes with this big marching drum. Um, I, it's, I love the verses, like, and that's you know John will criticize Paul for writing granny music he writes fucking slamming granny music man that shit so good as good as it is though the next song is it's one of my favorite songs by the Beatles in general it's one of my favorite John songs uh, which of course is a major uh, Paul McCartney contribution as they seem to all do but it's And Your Bird Can Sing the guitar rips out of the on uh, the beginning of this like this incredibly intricate um, dual guitar thing. It's like before Thin, Thin Lizzy. This is what we got, and it's almost like a bird song with Thin Lizzy guitars. Um, great, great John lyrics. Uh, supposedly, some people say it's about him, him taking aim at Frank Sinatra for materialism. Some people say it's him taking aim at Mick Jagger for materialism. Some people say his ex-wife that it was about her and materialism point is john despite enjoying all his money and buying tons of crazy shit i'm sure um you know he he has his little holier than thou moment it's still compelling the way it's sung the way um the lyrics are are arranged and that guitar is great apparently the guitar is um george and paul playing but i believe paul is the one who kind of really wrote that part and that part helps make the fucking song it's a it's one of the major parts of the song okay so now we have for no one 
great Paul song. This is another Paul ballad. Paul's very ballady on this record, and this is kind of maybe where the reputation really comes in. But you know, they're all good. Uh, for no one, a very uh, very interesting lyric for Paul because he, he's basically talking about a guy who just takes his woman for granted, and she leaves his ass, and he 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 realizes way too late is all his fault. Uh, great song. Dr. Robert is sort of like the only song in here that feels like a little um, by the numbers. It feels like Beatles by the numbers. Although lyrically, it's about you know, another LSD kind of thing. Uh, so, so that's interesting. But uh, Dr. Robert, guitar and stuff, it's, it sounds like you know, this is the Beatle, paperback writer. It's a sister of that. It's it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's fine and dandy. But it's nothing. It's probably my least favorite song on the record. I want to tell you. Great song. Um great George song has a really weird tempo and it kind of sounds like kind of sounds like at the beginning like like oh some sh- like something bad's gonna happen but it, it's 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 not doesn't really do anything bad it's just kind of like slightly sinister but it's a good song um got to get you into my life so this is Paul McCartney's uh it sounds like another great love song from him it is but it's about pot um you really wouldn't know it exactly from the lyrics but this is his like this is his sweet leaf you know um, but huge horns, it sounds like them trying to be kind of an R&B thing, slightly, you know, but it, it really works. It, it feels, again, he, like when he goes, ooh, and I tell you I need you, ooh, it just, you can't, you can't deny that stuff. It's just ear candy, right? So that's Paul's uh, farewell on the record. It ends, the whole album ends with Tomorrow Never Knows. Here we go. Tomorrow Never Knows. Um, first time I heard part of this, I heard the drum sampled from uh, the Chemical Brothers, right? Uh, what's it called, like Setting Sun or whatever, with a uh, Oasis dude, Liam, Liam, uh, not Liam, Noel singing on it. I, I heard that drum pattern. So when I finally heard this song, I was like, "Oh, that's the same drum." Okay, this is this is the this is one of the band's masterpieces. This is a John Lennon, Paul McCartney masterpiece, because like <laughs> it seems like every time, yes, John, they use tape loops, right? The song is a bunch of crazy loops and John singing uh, lyrics which are stolen or very inspired by uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead. They're very psychedelic. Um, and it's John's melody, right? But the, the idea of looping is Paul's idea. And I believe these loops are mostly Paul's musical loops. So Paul is providing the psychedelic element which makes this song so uh, incredible in a way and so revolutionary, at least, at least a large part of what it is. So, so again, you have, this is like John's, like, sort of like, people like point to this and like, I'm the walruses. He's like the king of psychedelic music. He is a co-king with Paul McCartney. Tomorrow Never Knows, incredible record, incredible song, sorry, and great way to end a record. And what's really, really cool is like, um, you have, of course, Paul, uh, John's vocal gets more and more distorted and weird. They add effects to it and it sounds great. It really suits the, the, what he's saying in the song. And he ends with, um. The, this is the be- this is the end of the beginning and it really is this the, so this is a, I guess the middle period of the band but in a way there there's no looking back the band this is John unbeknownst to him in a way saying this is the end of the Beatles as you knew it we're now um we are the counterculture is in full swing we are part of it we are maybe leaders of it and unbeknownst to John I think he's also He's he's basically saying that Paul's in charge now. This is Paul taking they had, they were equal footing for the last couple of records. Afterwards, Paul is the leader of the band. Don't get me wrong, John does his own thing still. All you know, 
but Paul guides the band. And of course, when uh, their their manager dies, Brian Epstein, Paul actually becomes like the de facto manager. So he, he he's guiding them musically, he's guiding them uh, financially and career wise. Paul takes over the band. Um, this so in a weird way, it's really prophetic that John says this is the end of the beginning. It's John saying it, backed by Paul's music. That's the end of that period of the band. And it is my favorite record of theirs. I think it's, um, I can just listen to it nonstop. They, they achieve a perfect balance of all the cool things I like about the Beatles. It's, it's them at this great moment. Um, and they make great stuff afterwards. Don't get me wrong. They make some amazing stuff. Some stuff that like I sometimes go, oh, maybe this is my favorite. But more, more and more, I just go, Revolver's the one. And I'm not alone. People love Revolver. So how do they follow it up, right? <laughs> they follow up the greatest album with um, their biggest album. And this album is uh, this album is bigger than the band. I think it's really rare. You know, on this podcast, we'll talk about shadow casters. And, and these are works that are so big, they, take, they cast a shadow on the rest of, 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 of an artist's career, like John Carpenter's Halloween. But um, shadow casters usually, you know, that that's something that's like you can't... Um, you always have to mention that, right? And this is that. But the Beatles is so big that um, nothing could truly cast a shadow on the Beatles. The Beatles will always be big. Um, they'll always be... You'll, you'll talk about their whole career. But this thing is like a separate entity almost. This is... This this changes everything. And it, uh, it's, it's called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It's 1967. It's a phenomenon, right? Um... And is it overrated? Yes, but also no. It's weird. Sgt. Pepper's is a really weird thing where the highs on it are extremely high. There are some songs in here that are some of the best songs I've ever done and all that. But there's also some, I feel like the middle of the record has some boring shit that's cool on a technical level, a lot of it. Um, you see it's really interesting, the soundscapes they're creating, and, and you, you, if you listen to it with ears, trying to pretend what it would be like to be back then and hearing it for the first time, you see why it's so um, important. But I think it's more important than it is good, in at least these middle songs we're talking about. It ends really well again. So, to me, this the, the run continues. So this is not a bad record, but it's, you know, it's some people say it's the greatest record of all time, the greatest rock record. Um, I think Revolver is better but Sgt. Pepper is more ambitious, and this, of course, the biggest legacy of Sgt. Pepper and why it's so important is it basically cements that bands making albums, albums are art. They are not just a collection of songs or singles or whatever. They are an art- artistic statement. This is like a director making a film. This is like a novelist writing a novel. This album, everything about it, the packaging, the way some of the songs like, meld in together, all the artistic leaps and, and, and experiments that they're, they're taking is very experimental. Um, this creates that. And so this is also Paul's baby mostly. And so Paul, it, Paul and the band, but really Paul are the architects of, of the modern album without this album, this album popularizes, um, concept albums, but beyond this concept, the concept of an album is a piece of art. So you can't deny that. It's so big. It's it's so huge. But yeah, listening to the record, you open incredible, right? So you open a Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. It's the title track, right? So good. One of Paul just barking, great lyrics, feeling it, feeling it, great, cool stuff all around. 
it segues into with a little help from my friends. One of the, one of their best songs with a little help from my friends. Ringo's biggest moment, better than Yellow Submarine. This is this is him. This song is built for his vocal, but you have the whole band singing harmony. Great lyrics. Um, this song was really touching. So the first time I heard this song, I heard the Joe Cocker cover for the Wonder Years theme song, right? And I love that cover. But hearing this, um, I was really taken by the lyrics. And there's stuff like you know, John Lennon says like you know the line, um, uh, "What do you see when you turn out the light? I can't tell you, but I know it's mine." Which is I I, I actually saying that right now, honestly, got a little tingles. Um, there's a lot in there. With so few words. That's the John Lennon line. Um, but Paul, of course you know, is contributing a lot of lyrics and also the music, Ringo delivering that vocal. And the message of that song, this 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 is them this is the band Zeitgeist. This is the Summer Love sixty seven, the band fully uh embracing uh the youth culture and what's happening, um, the peace movement, uh anti Vietnam War, all that stuff. It's somehow reflected in these lyrics which don't don't directly address almost any of that stuff. But it's it's all there. And you can't help but hear it. And with a little help from my friends one of the, one of their masterpiece songs, um, "Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds," great song. And so this is this is a John song. Um, this is him kind of in Sergeant Pepper mode, exploring uh, really the studio, right, and using the studio as an instrument. Great stuff, cool lyrics. And then after that, we get some kind of hit and miss stuff, right? So, "Getting Better" is okay. Um, there's an interesting admission, you know, I think Paul sings it, John, or maybe John, they both sing it, but John wrote the lyrics like, I used to hit my woman, you know, I kept her away from the world. Him, him admitting he, he hit his wife, you know, which is, you know, that's pretty fucking heavy. It's pretty rough. And, you know, he, John Lennon's a complicated guy. There's a lot of shit about him that's gross and ugly and fucked up and wrong. There's also some beautiful stuff. He's a complicated person. Um... And some of that's, in his lyrics, I'll give him this. He's almost, he's very honest with a lot of his lyrics. And at times when it's sort of like, what, what do you, why do you bring this up, John? What are you doing? But that, that's what the song's about, getting better, right? At least trying to, right? So, but that song itself is just okay to me. It's like, eh, it doesn't do enough. Same with Fixing a Hole. Fixing a Hole, cool melody, cool laid back nature, but just okay. She's Leaving Home is, is too much. She's Leaving Home is a little too cloying. A little too uh, schmaltzy. That's not Paula's best. At the same time, being for the benefit, Mr. Kite. This is kind of John. This is John at his kind of like Paul. Him leaning too hard into like his uh, Lewis Carroll um, weirdo circus lyric kind of thing. Uh, it's like it's like psychedelic by numbers. It's it's okay. It's not great. And then again, it's followed by, it's almost like the bands do, show, in a row, they're showing, each band member showing you um, the worst parts of their songwriting, the worst attributes kind of encapsulate in the song. So you have Bad Paul, Bad John, Bad George, Within You, Without You. It feels like this should be a hit. This should be like Love You, uh, Love You Too, Part Two. It just kind of feels, eh, the melody's not there for me. Um, there's some cool lyrics, but it's it just, eh. Well, we get back on track though, right? So there's that little middle period, which is not so great in the record. It's okay. When I'm 64, great song. Great great Paul, granny song. First time I heard this was the intro to the movie uh, The World According to Garp. Uh, super dug it then. Um, beautiful lyric. Uh, really fun. It's, 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 it's lovely. Fucking When I'm 64, all the time. Love it. Lovely Rita. Lovely Rita is kind of underrated. Lovely Rita is... Um, it, it's cool. It's a, it's a cool song. There's like psychedelic parts to it. It's got a cool little melody. Fun song about him falling in love with a meter maid. It's it's really weird, but it works. 
Good morning, good morning is just okay. Good morning, good morning feels like they they want another John song on there just to kind of make it feel like it wasn't just a Paul album. And it's a decent decent melody, simple rocker, which John's good at, but it's kind of eh. You have the reprise of Sgt. Pepper's, which is cool, really cool to bring it back. And then, of course, without this song, I feel like the record might actually break the run because it's, it's about neck and neck of between great stuff and like, just okay or bad stuff. Day in the Life. Day in the Life might be the ultimate Beatles song in a lot of ways. And they've never done a song quite like it since. But it, it kind of, it's the perfect marriage between John and Paul. You have um, really uh, kind of heartbroken, but um, somehow still aloof lyrics from John. And you know, and kind of somber music, but it still has some happy moments. And you have a kind of a, you know, I love to turn you on. It gets into that psychedelic part, and even a little John sexy. But then you have the big crazy middle part, right? And this is this is when Paul kind of comes in. So I think it's kind of uh, it's it's never been settled on exactly. But it's either John was like, oh, we should do a thing. So he either said something simple like we I, right here in this part we should just do something really crazy, or he actually had like some sort of like direction. He's like, uh, if we could just like get like all the um, the music to kind of go like off like a rocket, like start off low and go high, or he either he either gives Paul that direction or he just says we got to do something different and, and insane here. And Paul's like, okay, what if we took a symphony and it had them start the lowest note that could play everyone, and then gradually and then quickly build to like the highest note they could play somehow either way paul is the one who executes john's vision or he is the one who articulates john's vision and they have this in crazy just just such a weird symphonic moment um with this whole big symphony and then it cuts to this uh this paul interlude this cool bass and this it's funny so the, the song's called day in the life right john's version of that title is a series of weird events that he's kind of reading or witnessing or whatever, but it's it's like a, just different different events on on the planet Earth or whatever, and some are based on his own life, but it's, they're kind of uh, veiled. Paul's version of Day in Life is really like this: I woke up, <laughs> fell out of bed, dragged a comb across my head, went downstairs, had a smoke, and, and he basically catches the bus, and. It's very mundane, but it's also it's it's uh it's sweet and it really works as a good counterbalance between what John's doing, and then you have him he he passes the ball back to John going and I went into a dream and you have John going ah and it sounds really distant and and kind of ghostly and then the symphony comes back with these big low horns and it just sounds uh sounds like like an empire it sounds so big. And then it comes right back to the to the first part of music with John. I read the news today, that kind of thing, and it it flows so well. And we again go to the big crescendo with the the whole orchestra, and then it ends kind of like like uh, a mirror to the opening weird note of Hard Day's Night. They hit this weird note, which is a bunch of different things hitting the piano at once, and it it just feels like this is them punctuating this entire album, this entire statement this song and this period of the band and they just hit you with it and it feels like very much like uh something's happening right now in the world we're part of it and we want to um invite you to be a part of it with us it's the 60s 
that's that's how they end the record. And of course, there's there's the a hidden track that kind of comes on, which is barely a song, but you know the the true end is that that note, and it's it's immortal. So that song is so good, and it ends the record. It it makes up for any failings the rest of the record might have. And so the run continues with Sgt. Pepper's, despite it being um, maybe not as good as their other records. It's the most important record they make, and it changes the world. So obviously it's included. And there are so many songs that are really good that, uh, not so many, there's a few songs that weren't included on this record that it boggles the mind. And like, like if, if they would have taken off um, like some of the, like the Lesser John songs and put uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, I mean, this, we, maybe this would be the masterpiece. Maybe I don't know, but they didn't do that. So what do they do? Here's another here's another controversial part of this uh, this rundown. The same year they come out with Magical Mystery Tour, so this counts. It's debatable, right? Because basically the record is a collection of B sides, including Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane, which are you know were written around the Sgt. Pepper time, but weren't included on the album. Uh, uh, all you need is love. All these, there's some B side stuff, right? But there's also some originals like I Am the Walrus or um, Fool on the Hill. It counts because there, there's a part. Yes, this this band, this album is kind of derided as being like uh, Sgt. Pepper leftovers and just and like them kind of doing Sgt. Pepper again, but it's not as good. That's true. But the songs when when, when they're good, they are really good. They are um, some of my favorite stuff. And you're seeing the band also musically, even though it's it is sort of feels like Sgt. Pepper two, where it's there's psychedelic and very much like playing in the studio and not really um, being a guitar um, oriented song band in a way they're, they're embracing other stuff they're starting to really uh, they're starting to let their hair down a little bit again and kind of kind of you know 67 so they're hearing other stuff they're hearing Jimi Hendrix they're hearing Cream um, I think they're starting to go like what's maybe get a little loud and a little good and not be so uh, as restrained as Sgt. Pepper was right they're hearing the doors. They're hearing stuff that's a little, little more rocking than them. They want to embrace that. So you have like "I'm the Walrus." This is one of John's. This is one of John's masterpieces. And this one, I, you know, I think Paul basically just plays along with it on this one. He, his, um, he, this is really a, a big John moment. Um, and great lyrics, incredible delivery, um, great production. So, so weird sounding, right? It's it, it sounds like punk psychedelic. It's it, with, with a symphony. Um, great stuff. You, you, but you have uh, you know, Fool in the Hills, beautiful. But there, there are some songs like the title track, Magical Mystery Tour. It's just okay. I, I like the partner to end, which is this weird, like uh, kind of interlude, or I guess outro with like a piano. It just sounds like the song changes all, all of a sudden. But it's just okay. This this album has some Paul stuff, or like that, or um, Hello Goodbye, which I think yeah, he, lyrically he could do something a little more substance. It seems like he's just playing the opposite games a little bit. It doesn't really do it for me, right? But he has stuff like Your Mother Should Know. Really cool. It's still him doing like his granny music, his old-fashioned stuff, but it's um, it's mysterious. It's cool. It's different. And Baby, You're a Rich Man. This is John and Paul together, and really interesting song. I, I didn't hear this until I uh, years later. Um, uh, after I was already a Beatles fan, I finally tracked down this whole album. I love it. Be- Baby, You're a Rich Man is so cool. There's some, there's some misses, though. Blue Jay Way and uh, Flying by George. This is not George's finest moment. So Magical Mystery Tour, 
the run it squeaks by. This almost kills the run. Uh, they're kind of opening themselves up to new ideas, and there's some throwaways, but there's some really solid stuff. And of course, the stuff I just mentioned, Strawberry Fields Forever, one of the best songs they've ever done. This is a, a John masterpiece. Uh, heavy contributions from Paul for, musically. Um, Strawberry Fields Forever, like. I remember the first time I heard Let Me Take You it's like I was already in and the song keeps building getting better and it's it's so um, it feels so personal but also so like um, ethereal and weird and uh, and hard to kind of pin down beautiful Penny Lane I've had a hard, kind of a back and forth relationship with Penny Lane um, initially I was like this this is a boring I, I like I get your these like little stories of the little town but I just I don't really feel it but now I really appreciate it for it's um it's so intricately uh, built, and the lyrics are actually there's a lot of cool, interesting stuff like like Norman Rockwell, but you know British, uh, kind of perspective on things, and it, it just Penny Lane's great. I know what my problem was. All you need is love. All you need is love is interesting too because like you can see it like lyrically. This is like uh like the Mike Myers sketch making fun of John Lennon where he just basically reverses things like um there's nothing you can do that can't be done. Just kind of simple lyrics, you know, but the message is good enough. The song, the melody is strong enough, um, and it's played. It's played with such sincerity that it works. This is a beautiful record, beautiful statement, and of course, Paul's <laughs> Paul's biggest contribution is him going. Let's bring back uh, "She Loves You," which you know was not on any of the records, but it's that's one of their definitive songs. That's, that's probably the early period. I don't think they ever beat that as far as like great single. So he sings like "She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah" in the background as the song as as uh, "All You Need Is Love" fades, and it, it's just a nice little tincture that is, adds. It makes an A song an A plus. It, it's just great. It's, Paul knows what he's doing. But this is so this is debatable whether or not this is a full album or not. Um, so, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, uh, the Run. All these albums are all part of the Run. Those three albums are masterpieces. Magic Mystery Tour is not a masterpiece, but the run continues. But what's next? Another fucking masterpiece. This is the Beatles' White Album, the self-titled album from 1968. It's a messy masterpiece. This is different. This is um, this is my entry into the band in a lot of ways. And so I, I it, it's probably my number two favorite record of theirs after Re- Revolver. And sometimes it's my number one. It's um, insanely big. It's sprawling. It's a double album. Um, this is the band at their most disjointed and broken up. It, it feels like almost like four separate bands in a way. Uh, it definitely feels like this is the ultimate uh, John versus Paul record. It feels like John on Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour era, he's very much like f- f- relinquishing control to Paul. It's like Paul's got some, Paul's very motivated. I'm, I'm letting Paul do his thing. This feels like John is stepping up to going, like, hey, uh, if, if, he's not, if he doesn't want to take back his band in a way he definitely wants to um have more input into it right um and so him and paul it feels like in a lot of ways uh them battling back and forth and again having like some songs just almost feel like they're um they're they're answers to one another so you have like john comes in with um everybody's got something to hide except for me my monkey full rock and this is the, the the loudest the most rock and roll they've ever sounded in a way right great song right so good. Paul says, okay, cool. Um, this is called Helter Skelter. And he blows him out of the water. Helter Skelter is, this is the true proto-metal moment from the Beatles. Paul McCartney, supposedly Mr. Ballot Man, uh, has this screeching, 
rock, raucous fucking dirty sloppy awesome wreck uh song incredible riff supposedly inspired by um I think Paul reading in like Melody Maker or some shit like the, the who just finished a quick one while he's away and they said they had just recorded the most raunchy rock and roll record ever recorded and he's like okay well watch this so he's answering John he's answering the who he wins he wins both fights um Helter Skelter despite Charles Manson trying to take it from um from us on the good side of things it's one of the best moments in in the album in the Beatles history it's, it's insane how much this song rocks and it sounds like nothing they've ever done before this is them at 12 great stuff um I, I can't run th- there's so many songs I can't run through every song but I will say like album opens up back in the USSR another another Paul masterpiece so good um you have Dear Prudence another John masterpiece this beautiful John song um the big ones while my guitar gently weeps this is George George with some help from Eric Clapton try, basically saying I'm, I'm sick of no one taking me seriously like listen to the song and it's incredible um, on any other record it might be like the best song on the record it's just this record is so good it's one of the best songs um, but happiness is a warm gun follows it this is John this is one of John's big moments and on this record this might be his best song it's like um, it's almost like him taking up the Paul McCartney challenge Paul McCartney has really complicated songs a lot of times he, he does like songs with a lot of different ideas woven together this is him doing that but his version is a little more raw a little more um, guitar oriented and this whole album is sort of them re-embracing the guitar they went to India they only had acoustic guitars with them and so all the songs they wrote when they're on their trip and they had nothing to do but write songs and, and hang out were guitar songs so this is them um, this is them late 60s hard rock's becoming a big thing this is their hard rock record even though it's also their folk record and their they have a million sounds but Happiness is a Warm Gun incredible lyric from John incredible vocal delivery so many ideas uh, has weird dirgy swamp blues parts and in the end it sounds like a classic Beatles like early Beatles like the doo-wop vocals well of course these really uh, twisted lyrics incredible and you know, you know Paul sings back up on it and he plays some great bass but it's, this is really a John moment so this is a full John moment one of my personal favorites Martha My Dear Paul moment this is Paul uh, singing about his dog, but he's doing his, his like old-fashioned piano style. Great. I'm so tired. Incredible John moment. Um, <laughs> it's a blackbird. Don't pass me by. Why don't we do it in the road? There's all these little little mini songs which in between the songs, and some of the songs are just like half-baked ideas. This this record embraces that. This is them. This is this is why I love it. It's it's a messy masterpiece. This is basically them. Uh, they're not trying to make a grand statement in a way of about who they are, but they're making this sprawling, wild statement. And it works because they're that good, and because we've never seen that facet of this band, and because the band still has so many ideas, like they can't, they can't be stopped. You have um, showstopper moments like with John, like Julia, about his his dead mother, and like s- some of his most beautiful lyrics and um, vocals, and the piano, uh, the piano, the guitar is just uh, it's 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 haunting, incredible. You have stuff like Birthday I Love. Um, Helter Skelter mentioned Sexy Sadie great stuff um, Savoy Truffle is one of my favorite George songs really cool sound to it um, you also have one of my least favorite George songs with um, Piggies this is kind of eh, just not into it uh, Long 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 is pretty good from George um, you have Cry Baby Cry this is great this is feels like a companion piece to A Day in the Life at least musically um, great John song uh, great John lyrics cool stuff um, you have Revolution so 
I do prefer uh, the Revolution electric version with the really distorted guitars. This version is really cool. I kind of feel like they should have kept the, the, the electric version on the record, though. That's that's my my take on that. Um, yeah, Revolution Number Nine. Revolution Number Nine. I I can appreciate what John and Yoko and Paul Paul helped were doing with the song. They they want to make this big weird musical thing and and they put it near the end of the album end of two albums so you don't have to listen to it you can you can basically end the album of cry baby cry which i often do or you can you can stick around for an after credits fucking weirdo song it's cool but it's um it does kind of like you could take it off the record i'd be fine and that goes for good night too good night you have they have ringo sing this little lullaby to end the record i i kind of feel like cry baby cry should be the end of the record that that's that with with paul coming in with um uh, take me back home the little little acoustic thing that 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 to me is a cool way to end the record but that being said it doesn't matter this is still a, a masterpiece incredible record this is um they have they have some great stuff after this but uh this definitely feels like the final john and paul we're gonna battle this out and this feels like the last time john's really fully engaged and john loses paul beats him paul and it's a photo finish. Don't me wrong. And but basically, Paul, his contributions to John's songs help. But Paul and Paul has more songs. But it's not really about quantity. It's a it's a quality thing. And it comes down to it. Paul just barely beats him with a few more quality moments than John. And then if you will, if you factor in the songs that didn't make the record that were singles, Hey Jude was written around now. If you include Hey Jude, there's no way that John Lennon wins this record. Hey Jude is uh, maybe my favorite Beatles song. It's definitely my favorite Paul McCartney song. Uh, hey Jude is beyond epic. I've had so many uh, moments listening to that song. I still get like chills and excitement when it builds to the end and he comes in this like just howling vocal and the background vocal. Na 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 na. I mean, it's. Like John Lennon has mentioned that that that, that was um, that's a masterpiece. It's Paul McCartney's mas- masterpiece. It's uh, I, I I can't imagine when the rest of the band heard that when they heard the final version, especially like you can't touch it. You, you can't you can't beat it. Paul Paul was blessed with some some talent that um it's not even true. He he worked really hard for his talent, and and you can't deny it. He's got a vision. Um, that song has is nothing but heart and soul, while also being musically extremely interesting. Hey Jude, Hey Jude's, uh, it's it's my favorite man. Um, but it's not on the record. It's <laughs> Paul still wins, but barely. It's it's great. It's 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 I mean, it's one of my favorites. It's it's really those two guys. Um, Revolver is is a perfect balance between them. This one's slightly more Paul, but. John's coming full on. Happiness is warm gun. It's it's incredible. And George is you know bringing up the rear of like incredible shit too. Great album. Super messy. It's really cool to see um a band like this really go nuts, go wild. They try it again with uh with the next record. So this is controversial. So this is what's controversial is my order here. Um, they record Let It Be next. It is released last. But I don't believe it's really their last statement. I think Abbey Road is designed to be their last statement, even though it came comes out before Let It Be. So we're gonna do Let It Be next in, in the in the run here. Um, Let It Be is sort of like they took um the idea some some of the rawness which is becoming apparent in the White Album, 
Um, and they go, let's go full on. Let's like, you know, they, they there's you know a documentary now called Get Back about this, but they tried to uh, make a live album slash TV special didn't happen. But the record is very stripped down. Um, it's this record. Some people say this is like, oh, this is the dud. It's not a dud, man. This is really good. It's a. It's just not as good as their other stuff around this period. This is. Um, this is basically John is really disengaged from the band at this point, and Paul, you're feeling like Paul. You know he's a guy from a Million Ideas. You know he can't. He can't. He can't keep on releasing all these albums on his own. He needs John to kind of help him, and John's not exactly there. So, so Paul, kind of isn't giving you his best stuff in some ways. But even that being said. It's a good record. There's so many great moments. I mean, um, Two of Us opens the record in a very cool, different way. Acoustic, um, really good lyrics. Uh, great way to open it, right? Um, Dig a Pony is a cool, weird rocker from John. Weird lyrics. Um, the, the big the big John song on here, is, and it's one of his best, absolutely. And it's very much a John song. Not, not a lot of other pe- people are contributing stuff to it. Besides like Phil Spector, maybe in the strings, but across the universe. One of his best lyrics, one of his best melodies. Um, beautiful song. Incredible song. It, 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 it's almost like... Uh, it's one of those songs which is why I'm a John guy, I guess. I'm like, yeah, you, you can't touch this. Um, you can't touch... Uh, what he's doing lyrically, the depth, and the at the same time being very playful with the cool melody and his voice, it's perfect. It, it's it's great. And Cross the Universe is great. Um, so you have but Paul, Paul Paul's okay. Paul's missteps on this album: long and winding road, never done it for me. Too schmaltzy, uh, goes on too long. <laughs> the road is too fucking long. It winds too much. Not there. Um, then you have like okay. One after ninety nine. This is this is fine. I, I've kind of grown to love the song. It sounds old fashioned. It's one of their older songs. They just recorded it now. It's okay. Get back. Get back. I I have only recently really embraced it. Probably because of the documentary and hearing it thirty five times. Um, Get back is is pretty cool. It, it kind of goes on a little too long. It mentioned Tucson, Arizona, and that's very important to me. I'm from Tucson. At least I grew up there for a long period, and so hearing Tucson in, in, in a song automatically gives us some points. Um. Let, it, let I think get back is good. Um, let it be. Let it be is funny. It's like it's it is like overplayed, but it's really good. I mean, you can't you can't let it be. It's like it's almost like if any other band did this, this this would be their ultimate song. The Paul McCartney and the Beatles. It's like oh, it's pretty good. It's like it, <laughs> it's uh, it's a plus, but not a plus plus. It's 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 good. Um, but this song, this album, it's almost like they did the white album thing where they have a bunch of like little mini interstitial stuff like Maggie Mae and this and that. And that's fine, but it just doesn't work like it doesn't hold together. It doesn't fall together exactly as good as the white album does. And there's one humongous omission, right? Which is Don't Let Me Down. This is this is uh, one of my favorite John Lennon songs. It's a single. It's or I think it's a B-side or a double A-side with Get Back, but it's not on the album. And... You have Paul's contribution. This one is really good backing vocals, really. But the the arrangement is kind of. I think they all did the arrangement. John brought the song in, and the 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 real um the real key contributor is Billy uh, Preston on 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 the keys. Um, but beautiful song, so good. I remember I'm watching the documentary. One of the coolest moments is Paul. They're talking about the song. You know, Paul's just like, it's a little corny, and and John's like, I like that it's corny. 
And it, and I, I don't even think corny is a word. It's actually just to me. It's like earnest. It's just it's just a beautiful love song. It's a plea. Great song. If that would have made a record, this would be no problem. This is on the run. I would have no qualms. Slight qualm. It squeaks by. The run continues, but just barely. But you know, this is the band falling apart in a lot of ways, and they kind of know that they um, they're falling apart, and they they basically know time's running out. We gotta make, um, we gotta end this thing right. We gotta say, a, we gotta do a proper goodbye, and that becomes Abbey Road, even though Abbey Road is released first. This is the end, and so this is not designed to be a to be a, a ultimate statement. It's not like the uh, Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti where we're trying to make the ultimate Beatles record. They're not. They're not doing that. They can't do that at this point. What they're trying to do is make a, a final statement. Do do a, a goodbye. Do do a, a um, try to end on a, a high note and try to end. Um, I think as optimistically as they can. So, John, of course, is um, still. Uh, kind of uh, not fully engaged but he's more so maybe than the last record or maybe just the same level he he does have some great songs so he opens the album come together it's a it's a great john lennon song great beatles song paul's contribution is that amazing baseline helps the song helps make the song also great backing vocal without that bass without backing vocal not quite as good um but the big the big like uh revelation this record is that on the way out, George Harrison becomes uh, an incredible songwriter. He always was, that's the truth, but he's finally given enough sh- uh, spotlight to, to show you what he can do. So he has, you know, he has some great moments here. He has Something, which is a very pretty song, very very beautiful song, but his big one is Here Comes the Sun. Here Comes the Sun is so good. Here Comes the Sun is right up there with the, the good John and Paul songs, and, and especially on this record. It's it's Here Comes the Sun might be... Might be um, Hmm. I don't know. It's one of the best songs. Uh, great stuff all around, it, and it's very George. It's, George never tried to be John or or Paul. He's his own guy, and that's what's cool about George. And this is him showing you what he can do. And of course, after the band breaks up, he does like a triple. Uh, his his debut album is a triple album. It probably shouldn't have been. It probably should have been a double album or maybe one really long great album. But he has enough songs stockpiled to kind of to do that because he's been held back because he's in this band with these other guys who are fucking they are John and Paul they are the songwriters of the generation so what can you do so that being said okay Abbey Road the Paul misstep which again it's, it's almost like it's not, <laughs> I'm gonna blame John for Paul's missteps because Paul has to fucking carry so much uh, weight no pun intended um, because John's not not engaged so he does Maxwell's Silver Hammer it's just okay it, it goes on a little too long. That's so good. But he falls off Oh Darling. Paul McCartney fucking rocks Oh Darling. Oh, and John John's funny quote about John, Oh Darling was like, oh, that should have been me because it sounds like one of my songs. I, I really like it. That's, that's his, that was his fucked up compliment to Paul McCartney. But um, Oh Darling, beautiful song. You have Octopus's Garden, another good Ringo song. Him, you know, very much revisiting uh, Yellow Submarine, going for aquatic imagery. But this one he wrote himself with George's help. And it's 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 really fun, really beautiful. John's last big part on this record, eh, one of it, okay, is is uh, I want you. She's so happy, great. This song sounds like this is a precursor to what he's going to do with uh, Plastic Ono Band, which is very stripped down, guitar rock, um, simple, si- simple lyrics. There's like a handful of lyrics, um, but it's great, right? I love this song. I do think the end, which I get this big white noise end, it goes on a little too long. But it ends, when it finally ends, it's abrupt, and then here comes the sun comes out, and it feels very much like, oh, we went to this big, this, this big dark uh, dirge moment, and now here comes the sun is 
is accentuated by it and it makes it even more uplifting and beautiful. Okay, fine. But I want you, super sexy lyric, great vocal, cool drums. They do kind of a, a little bit of a Latin thing, like this, the last go-through. It's great. Um, because, because is probably John's last big con- contribution to the record. And it's, of course, it's one of the best showcases of, of the Beatles' uh, harmony vocals. Uh, cool lyrics, um, really weird sound, uh, great stuff. And then we have this, the second half, which is the Paul McCartney fucking um, uh, suite, right? This is the, the, this is the Abbey Road everyone thinks about. This is a bunch of songs with a few from John Lennon, but it's mostly Paul just going, all these songs thrown together into this, this one long epic uh, side of an album. This is one of a piece. So this is sort of him going like, okay, if you liked um, Sgt. Pepper segueing into with a little help from my friends, I'm going to do that for fucking 20 minutes, right? And it's going to be great. So, you know, you never give me your money. That's so singable, so good. Uh, She came through the bathroom window, carried that weight. Golden Slumbers. It's funny, the, the John stuff's kind of some of the weaker stuff. I, I like Polythene Pam. Me, Mr. Mustard is just okay. And then, like, Sun King. Sun King is kind of like, eh. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we need Sun King. But um, this record is designed to be a goodbye. and designed to be a final statement. So Paul knows that. And so Paul, um, they have two kind of farewell parts, right? The end, um, musically, you have you, everybody takes a solo. So you have Ringo taking his only solo, and it's very tasteful, very restrained, and it's good. It's cool. Um, he does a drum solo, and then all three of the remaining Beatles trade off guitar solos. And I didn't notice at first, but now knowing how they play, you can hear it. You can hear Paul has really cool rock and stuff. George has, um, he sort of has more of a, 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 I know it's more melodic, but it's very, it's very George, it's very, it's very wavery, and it's before George takes up the slide guitar, which becomes like his signature sound, which is funny, he finds it after the Beatles, but it's still, you can hear the George, and then John is the last one on, on each, as they trade solos, and John's is very simple, but very in-your-face fucking rock, it's very just like, just, it's it's John Lennon, it's, it's just like, he is, he's, he's the rock and roll of the band, no matter what, and it ends with him's John just wailing on the solo, right? And then the song stops, and you hear this piano. And then Paul puts a bow on the whole thing, and he says, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And that's that's how they end things, basically. Yeah, there's another hidden song called Her Majesty, which is really pretty and small and, and short and sweet, but it's sort of a post-credits thing. It ends with this big statement, and it does feel like... Paul is aware, like, this is probably the end of the band. Uh, we should say something. We say something good. Say, can, can we go out on a note, a high note, and try to uh, try to sum up what we were all about? So this, just in this one line, he's trying to do a grand statement. And it kind of works. Um, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think it does work. I think it's, it's Chris Farley's favorite moment of the Beatles, probably. And that's saying something. But um, what, what we've just done is going through, uh, I believe... 12 records on band's complete discography and I've said they had a perfect run and I stand by that the Beatles had a perfect run yes there are albums better than other albums yes there are a couple squeakers but they're the greatest rock and roll band in the world not just because they're the first important one but because they were the best like, it's, it's really easy to be like, it's boring to say I, I love the Beatles, or it's boring to say the Beatles are great. 
it's boring because it's true. We've been saying it a lot because it's fucking true. Um, you know, I, I, I had a friend once who said this thing, which I agree with. He's like, I love the Beatles. But if you tell me the Beatles is your favorite band, I like I think less of you. And it's like, I kind of get it because it is such an easy thing to say. And the Beatles is not my favorite band, but they're one of them. And they probably are the best band. They've done it all. They were the first to do a lot of it. And they did a lot of it the best. Um, what helps the band is that there there are four songwriters, um, and they're all different, and they help each other, and they also um, go up against each other. They kind of fill in each other's gaps. Um, it's incredible stories of a band growing up. Um, it, there's they they kind of touch on almost every emotion, every every kind of feeling you could want in in their run. Um, they've done it all, and it it ends. On, on a really um, on a beautiful note I uh, you know there, there's great Beatles solo stuff after this I think Plastic Ono Band by John is like if you like John Lennon from the Beatles you need to listen to that record too because that's one of his best statements in general um, and, I, and I like uh, Imagine too but I think Plastic Ono Band is really good I think Paul um, Band on the Run is really strong really good and I really like Ram and I like uh so a lot of the solo stuff and then George's for you know debut album is important uh, Ringo's got some great singles I really think are cool um, nobody probably ever touches the heights of the Beatles I think the closest are John and Paul um, but it's sort of like these guys spent their 20s just churning out masterpieces and they, they you know and they basically they almost never stop John has another kid and he takes a break for a while but even before that, he still does a couple albums, basically, right after the Beatles break up. Um, I, I, their run is incredible in, in what it actually is, the output, but also in its delivery, its, its relentlessness. And I just don't think, um, I don't think we're, you're ever going to touch that again. So again, um, the Beatles are bigger than rock and roll. The Beatles are bigger than music in a lot of ways. They're part of history. But even if they weren't uh, historically um, important, if you never heard a thing about the Beatles and you listened to one of their, their records, you would say to yourself, this is incredible. Can I have more of this? Where can I find more of this? Who is this band? And that's because of the Beatles. And no one is the Beatles. And there will never be another never Beatle. No, there will never be another Beatles. <laughs> um, incredible. So maybe that's the best run of anything we've ever talked about. Their entire career is their run, and it's perfect, and it's huge. Thanks for listening. I'll, I'll see you when I see you. Bye bye.